Thank you for joining us in our new episode of Mufid 19. I am Hisham Salam. I am joined by my co-host, the scholar, the politician, the yogi Amra Hamzawi. In today's episode, we are having a discussion of the media coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic in Egypt. We are joined by award-winning journalist Lina Atallah, who is also the editor of Mada Masr, one of the most prominent and leading independent online newspapers in Egypt. Lina, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Hisham. And thank you, Amr. Lina, many observers have argued that in countries like Egypt, rulers have used the pandemic as an opportunity to prop up their own power and to add greater restrictions on civil freedoms in their countries. How would you interpret that perspective? I think this this has been uh, a, a classical thesis uh, in in you know in trying to understand uh, or to retrieve the connection between authoritarianism and uh, and the state handling of the COVID nineteen crisis. Um, but you know, from sheer experience, I don't necessarily feel this has been necessarily uh, the case uh, in a country like Egypt, in the sense that. Um, the you know well-established infrastructure of authoritarianism that's been evolving in different forms and ways throughout uh, the past years in particular uh, that uh, there was no need um, to resort to the pandemic um, and and uh, you know precautionary measures uh, surrounding the pandemic in order to um, extend um, you know uh, authoritarian practices of course, I say this while there have been circumstances where, you know, there have been the specific cases of restrictions on prisoners' rights, uh, which are already extremely restricted anyways, whereas um, in the broader sense, I don't necessarily feel um, that um, um, in our case, the pandemic has been um, used in order to further restrict freedoms just because the infrastructure of authoritarianism has been already in place, and um, and my sense that this is an argument that's more tied to Western-style democracies that have had to deal with unprecedented levels of restrictions on um, on on uh, personal freedoms, uh, freedom of movement, and so on. Thank you so much, Lina. It's a pleasure to interview you. Looking at reporting in Egypt about COVID-19, what are the key challenges that you've been facing and your colleagues and Madame Musk have been facing in covering the pandemic? There have been many challenges, you know, first of which is that this has been simply a new experience for us. Uh, our generation has not been through a pandemic, uh, a pandemic before, so we don't have knowledge in place as to how um, as to how to deal um, uh, with this uh, with this situation, and then there is the more classical problem of access to information, uh, which is very typical um, in a restricted environment. And how did you and your team deal with these challenges, Lina? Uh, especially the lack of reliable information. Um, so at the beginning, when we were starting to deal with the with the lack of numbers, we felt that there's no way we could uh, we could re- like retrieve a way to produce alternative numbers, for example. So the game of the numbers became very hard, especially you know again in a country where uh, you have um, you know millions of people, um, you know you have a, a huge disparity in terms of access to the health system. So um, so you can't really tell who's sick and who's not sick, um, and whoever is counted as sick is the person who gets access 
to uh, to health services, and whoever gets counted is whoever the government decides to count them. So you, there are those several filters and gaps to getting the right numbers. So it became clear at the beginning that um, that you know doing the usual counter narrative to the the state narrative uh, was not going to be easy, especially in this numbers game. Um, so this is when we started feeling that. At the beginning, uh, perhaps what we need to do is uh, think less of the pandemic as an event and instead to turn it into a lens um, through which we can investigate so many uh, things that uh, we knew very little about and became uh, much more revealed uh, in light of this crisis. Um, so at the beginning, our coverage was, uh, was marked by uh, trying to go to specific communities and investigate um, how the initial lockdown measures um, affected them. Um, and it was, for us, um, an amazing opportunity to produce records on poverty, for example, records mm -hmm. on underprivileged, on what does it really mean to be underprivileged? What does it mean to be vulnerable? Uh, it was also um, a fantastic opportunity to investigate um, in depth the health structure, um, be it uh, at the level of the establishment, but also on the level of the different communities of doctors, um, you know, and also what kind of uh, what kind of attitudes and behaviors uh, started evolving uh, amongst the doctors' communities about the rights to, to protection um, um, in the context of infectious diseases. Um, there, there, you know, demands for for compensations, for due compensations, for the work uh, in um, in you know this this heightened crisis time. So it became clear to us uh, that uh, the virus is giving us a lens um, through which uh, we can look into um, this very system uh, through which we are being ruled. Um, but also in more experiential ways, experiences with underprivileged, with um, with um, with poverty, with uh, you know socioeconomic conditions, and so on. Thank you, Lina. The Economist magazine has ranked Egypt second worldwide in the Global uh, Normalcy Index, an index that is designed to measure return to pre-COVID life in any given country. Meanwhile, the World Health Organization has reported that as of July 2021, Egypt has administered vaccinations on no more than 5 million Egyptians in a country where adult population uh, exceeds 50 million. How do we make sense of that discrepancy? Egypt uh, was one of the countries that were, you know, fast moving towards both a practice and a discourse of um, stopping worrying about uh, the pandemic as an exclusively state responsibility uh, and more turning it into um, people's own uh, responsibility. And uh, instead, the state uh, took up the responsibility of uh, preserving uh, the economy. This, this clash that has been classical um, in different other contexts uh, was very much present at the beginning in Egypt. Uh, we did some reporting about um, the pushbacks, for example, at the beginning from our health ministry uh, in, order, um, in order for the authorities to be able to take some uh, staunch measures, uh, um, you know, such as the closing up of, uh, of the airport, uh, the shutting down of flights. But as, as you know, time uh, passed, uh, 
it was clear that we cannot afford, um, it was clear by the authorities that we cannot afford uh, complete closures and we cannot afford um, the treatment of COVID-19 as a number one, uh, as a number one priority. And, you know, in the backdrop, you have an extremely worsening uh, economic situation um, that's not being talked about. So, so basically, the decision from early on has been to abandon uh, uh, all these precautionary uh, measures uh, as manifest in curfews, uh, closures, uh, cancellation of flights, and so on. Um, and to just focus on um, and to just focus on uh, restoring the the economy. So in this context, um, it's very easy for for Egypt to rank very high on the uh, back to uh, back to normalcy uh, index uh, that's been published recently by the Economist. Um, in this context, also, it's only normal that. Um, providing vaccinations um, um, to the entirety of the population um, has not been a priority. Um, of course, this falls within also a global context of, um, of disparity when it comes to, you know, how the vaccine is being produced, the, you know, control of uh, production by, you know, the certain few companies that, you know, control the patents and the trade secrets and the technologies and so on. But we also don't see uh, a staunch government's behavior vis-a-vis uh, -vis making sure that uh, they get enough supplies uh, in order to vaccinate the population. Um, in light of this situation, there hasn't been any campaigning in Egypt um, um, for people to receive the vaccine. And in fact, uh, this um, is, uh, you know, resulting in a massive state of, um, of vaccine hesitancy, which is also, which is something that we see elsewhere in the world. Um, but we also know that there is a traditional state responsibility around um, adopting vaccines, especially when they are very new, this, you know, situation of newness, there is this, you know, trust in the state in making you believe um, that, you know, you need to take this in order to be okay, which has been our experience with polio, for example, in the past. Um, so there hasn't been um, any campaigning because there aren't vaccines. And as, as a result, uh, people are quite fearful of, uh, of this substance. Um, and again, as a result, we have very few people um, being vaccinated. Thank you so much, Lina. In, in many countries, civil society organizations have played a key role in raising public awareness and in managing pandemic relief. What have you been seeing in Egypt? In a context where you know there, there are so many restrictions on the work of civil society, so we don't expect much of a role um, in any form or way. And then you have this twin reality that there aren't enough vaccinations uh, that have reached us. So on the other hand, um, you know we, we don't have much beyond that. Um, so you know there, there is a feeling that you know campaigning for something that doesn't exist. Um, is not so much needed, and hence I can't really point to an active role by um, by civil society um, with regards to the vaccine in particular. There has been an important role by um, civil society initiatives, uh, civil society uh, groups, uh, both formal and informal initiatives in more sort of um, humanitarian assistance let's say um, at the height of uh, at the height of the crisis so you know distribution of uh, oximeters of 
oxygen cylinders, um, organizing access to hospitals when hospitals have become uh, saturated, and um, and a few organizations um, and also initiatives, um, popular initiatives, let's say, uh, have played, I think, a central role in uh, providing relief um, in these hard times, especially mm -hmm. at the heights of the of our different three waves. Um, but beyond that, um, there isn't much else. Lina, what in your opinion are the most underreported COVID-19 related stories in Egypt? What I can say is that one of the hardest stories to be able to tell is one about the deaths, about the high death rates, for example. Um, um, it's, not, it's not clear up until now um, why the death rates in Egypt have been quite high. Um, and, you know, the extent to which there is, you know, a, an element of uh, negligence or an element, a structural element of, um, you know, health sector failure in terms of um, immediate access, uh, providing immediate uh, access to those in distress, um, or something related to the severity of the infection or the variants that we've been having here. Um, these have been um, sort of uh, dark spots uh, that we haven't been able to, we tried, we, we produced a few stories here and there about them, but they have been, uh, they have been quite hard. And for me, one of the main uh, things that hasn't made it to public consciousness is actually the high level of uh, mortality amongst doctors. Um, this is one of the things that makes me feel that um, it's not just about a repressive state, it's uh, it's as if there is there's no society anymore. Like there are so many doctors amongst us dropping dead. And I, I felt for a moment that this is this is going to be the entry point of a heightened awareness about this uh, this pandemic because we just spoke about how there isn't much of an awareness or a concern about it. And then you have all these doctors dropping dead in the hundreds, um, no coverage whatsoever, uh, no proper coverage beyond the numbers. Um, and no reckoning, no societal reckoning of of of, uh, of this situation. Let alone, of course, no uh, no proper uh, reflection on um, the the demands, uh, the rising movement. I would say even amongst the doctors' community about the rights in light of you know this this high mortality rate and so on. Um, so I feel like this is an area that hasn't uh, that hasn't uh, that hasn't been. Uh, covered uh, properly uh, the death rate yeah, the, the doctor's resistance um, even though it was you know well pronounced especially at the beginning uh, but it, it did not amount to a highly resonating sort of movement we were the ones who were trying to amplify it to give it voice and so on but for whatever reason this movement didn't end up getting any resonance and of course you know, part of it is, you know, lack of organizing, weakening of syndicate politics, uh, all these different reasons amounted into a situation where uh, the voices of the doctors were not heard to the point where, like I said before, they are dying and people are not reckoning with this terrible reality. In, in contrast, what you're just saying, Lina, regional leaders have been referring to Egypt's handling of the pandemic as a success story. How do we make sense of that discrepancy? So, so, and one of the main ways in which I see um, this pandemic is how do we produce knowledge? Because there is a reason why the pandemic was produced into a crisis in contexts of Europe, uh, whereas it hasn't been the case 
uh, in a context like Egypt, um, even though we had moments where hospitals were saturated, where people were dying, where infection levels were quite high by you know sheer reported experience and not necessarily government numbers. And the gap is really what story, what's the story that gets out? What's the story, um, what, what's, you know, to what extent is the story being controlled? So it might be, it might be simply a question of narrative control, um, um, but also narrative control does not explain how um, the overall situation was not really produced into a crisis. And I feel that the production of crisis was in, in other contexts was uh, governed uh, by two things. The, the real facts of, you know, and the real sort of known facts of people dying of huge numbers, high infection levels per day. Uh, and, and all of this is, of course, numbers that you know. Um, and on the other, um, how states publicly uh, took up very staunch measures that are unprecedented from, you know, uh, lockdowns to closure of airports and so on. So there, there was a perception, a huge perception of crisis. The situation in Egypt from day one was, it's fine. There is no big crisis. There's no big deal. Um, and I feel this, this has been key, Shwaya. Uh, and it's, it's both a, um, a uh, a practical uh, a practical aspect uh, manifested in not sharing information manifested is not in not taking a lot of measures and so on and it's also discursive um, so never has COVID been uh, uh, produced as a major crisis in public discourse uh, in Egypt at any point you would find everyone once in a while. The minister is saying, Gagana, be careful, wear your mask or whatever. But that's the extent of it. So, mm -hmm. so there hasn't been a production of crisis on practical or on discursive levels uh, that basically ended up turning Egypt into a success story. Now, whether there's a crisis or not, this is what we don't know. You know? Mm -hmm. And this brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next time.